0: well hello inside scoopers and happy february 21st 21 of 21 and we are running late today it has been quite a day you shouldn't have been here no your flight was canceled yes and well because of that, it threw off the entire week, and uh, i got to tune my mic. It says my mic is coming in super hot. And yes, because of that, unfortunately, we unfortunately, thought-
1: Unfortunately, I'm here.
0: Sadly, you're still here. <laughs> you're still freeloading uh, off of my house. I'm and so,
1: no, I'm just frozen solid. I was partially frozen last week, but I'm 100%. Like, I'm solid.
0: Well, it definitely- Frozen. Frozen. Definitely glad to have you here. It did throw off a couple of our notes, knowing that you couldn't get on a plane and you couldn't go. So today we are going to be winging our Facebook Live.
1: Well, when you say winging it, it's a commentary every weekend. It's not much different other than you don't have to Skype me in this time. We don't have to worry about tech failure. It's
0: true. It's true. And the really cool thing is, as I'm talking right now, there's like this squirrel who's eating, which is so cool. You guys see that? I think that's going on right now.
1: We should name him.
0: He made his way up the bird feeder and he's, yeah, and he's sitting there and he's eating. So there you go. So even in in the sadness of you not getting on a plane, hey, man.
1: We have a squirrel.
0: We have a squirrel. We have a squirrel inside scoopers.
1: Well, pretty sure he's a male.
0: Well, all right. That's enough of your flatness, Karen. I'll take this bad boy over. So today, let's talk about one of my favorite headlines. Butter. Butter makes everything better. And yeah, I kind of figured that would cheer you up and you wouldn't be so flat. During a pandemic, butter makes it better. Sales spike. And it's not just about baking.
1: So if it's not about baking or eating butter, what is it about?
0: Well, it's about a 20% spike right now all across the world, now especially here in Canada, of everybody using butter in everything. And I got to I got to tell you man. I um uh, I like this because I like to give my dogs butter. How do you feel about dogs and butter?
1: Well, I think I think that that should be your next Facebook live. Because I think that butter has a lot of stigma associated with it as a saturated fat and as Something that we've been told not to feed pets, it's completely safe and fine. But why do you give your dogs butter? Listen,
0: I love butter, especially when we were filming the dog cancer series and when I got to go to Keto Pets. I literally had like a revolutionary moment when I walked in there and I saw those guys giving dogs with cancer butter because I was always under like you're always under the impression that. Butter is one of those delightful foods that's not maybe yeah. the best thing in the entire a sinful, world, a right? Sinful, occasional food. Yeah, like Dr. Lincocher says, butter and bacon is all you need. Ain't that the truth? But I always, always attributed it to like not exactly a sinful food, not being like the most ideal food in the entire world to be putting into the bowl for for pets. And then when you when you know when you got to sit down, you got to talk to those scientists, you got to hear them out, and they talk to you about macronutrients. And, you know, in when you're using high fats with high carbohydrates, that's where butter can theoretically get you in trouble. But when those carbohydrates are taken out of the picture, my gosh, it was like reversing cancer in dogs.
1: Gay says butter is one of her dog's favorite foods.
0: It is. I'll tell you, I, you know, when I put, uh, when I put Sammy in ketosis, it was butter that saved me because she absolutely hated coconut. She did not like MCT oil. When I switched to butter, it's like. It was like a miracle, like putting that in the bowls.
1: I'm not sure that anyone can go wrong with butter in dogs. In fact, it's a great way to like get pills down dogs.
0: The the other reason why I got this is also, you know, when you have like pets that there's specific foods they don't want to eat. I remember speaking with someone whose dog had cancer and they couldn't get vegetables in the dog. Dogs absolutely hated vegetables. So they started to basically at room temperature, mix in butter with like asparagus, mix in butter with kale, mix in butter with broccoli when they were doing it. And the dogs were just loving life.
1: April just said the only butter is just a carrier for veggies, which is true. I completely agree with that. And how you can meet your veggie requirement is just to put more butter on them for you and your dogs, I believe. This is good. Salted or unsalted, Lisa says. I'm a salted girl.
0: You know what? I was doing unsalted for the longest time. And then you were telling, I remember you were telling me that a lot of fresh fed Dogs like raw-fed dogs had sodium deficiencies. That's they true. they weren't getting enough sodium in their diet because sodium was in the blood. You said, and a lot of people discard the blood. I know. You know. You look at the bag at the bottom of the bag of fresh food, and you got that puddle of blood that's sitting on the bottom there. And most people will just take it and they just kind of pour it out, and there goes all your sodium. So then I switched from unsalted to salted. So I've been yeah. using salted butter as well.
1: And I agree with that. Uh, back when I was doing a ton of hair analyses, I found that indeed raw fed animals, homemade raw fed animals. It's not intuitive for us to salt our food for our pets, of course. But actually, Rodney is correct. Dogs and cats both actually have a pretty high sodium chloride requirement because of the amount of blood that they would previously consume. And my number one thing I saw in hair analysis was sodium deficiency. And salt, deficient, salt deficiency is a big issue with homemade diets consistently. So I'm a big believer in salted butter as well. And if you have extra blood at the bottom of anything, pour it on your dog or cat's food because that naturally is a source of sodium and chlorine.
0: Yeah, I can't tell you how many people discard that part. So there you go. All right. Now, this next topic that we're going to talk about is a hot and trending topic. And I got—I mean, I got, a, I got a lot of opinions on this, but a lot of research and a lot of studies have been coming out lately that has been really, really focused on alternative sources of protein, right? Whether it's lab-grown meat that you're seeing and in this cricket meat that people have been uh, raving about. And now there is a new study that came out in the Journal of Animal Science talking about the digestibility and safety of dry black soldier flies larvae, So larvae meal and also black soldier fly larvae oil in dogs. Mm-hmm. This is a really, really hot topic because, of course, with the issues that's going on today with meat sourcing and all the all of the issues with, you know, antibiotics in meat, hormones in meat, uh, the environment, sustainability, and so on and so forth. So there's a push for. These insect type of proteins in the market, and especially you know with environmentalists and people pushing it, but not a lot of people can get by the ick factor. Now look, there's a bag down there on the bottom. That's by from Nestle Purina. These products are already being sold in Europe and different places of the world. They're not actually legally uh, yet allowed to be as like single base standing proteins in the United States. They haven't been approved. I did notice all over my newsfeed, though, in Canada, that people are now marketing because, of course, we don't have any regulations here in Canada. So there, these are starting that. to sell now in Canada.
1: In fact, you know, my Facebook Live ads have a treat called Jiminy's. That is a cricket-based treat. That I, I don't know if that's because I'm in Canada, but dog treats that are insect-based are at least treats are at least here already.
0: Yeah, and so. Check it out. So Purina right now has launched its pet food with plants and insect proteins, but in different in other parts of the world, I saw in China right now, it's selling in China and different parts of Europe. It's not actually trending everywhere in Europe, just in specific areas. There's a cut from CBC headline news that just came out the other day that insect-based protein aims to cut your pet's carbon uh, paw print. There's a couple companies that are selling. I know Wilder right now is pushing. Yora is pushing in different parts of Europe. They're Yora's trying to push right now and trying to get into the United Kingdom. Some of the some of the highlights here. This is really interesting. I had no idea what they're saying here.
1: That's interesting. Janet says that she feeds dried soldier flies to chickens in the winter. Fantastic. That's so good for your chickens. So good. So first of all, bugs are super nutritious. I mean, they're they're low on that food chain and they're loaded with a, a, a bunch of different amino acids. Bugs in general are incredibly nutritious. So it's great that you give your chickens in the winter access to bugs. They're an evolutionary food source. It's great. What Janet says that her, her barn kitties tried to steal the black soldier flies in the winter if she leaves them out. And that doesn't surprise me. There again, as much as dogs and cats, both will hunt a lot of bugs if given the choice. Kitty, indoor kitties, one of their favorite pastimes, right? They're all bug hunters and they're quite nutritious, but a lot of people have a hangup.
0: Uh, absolutely the ick factor check look at so i I cut out some stats here from the pet food industry just when it kind of when you want to compare it pound to pound when you got crickets black soldier fly larva meal and beef i mean take a look at that the protein content first of all between beef and crickets are almost identical Identical, yeah Um, black soldier fly larva meal actually has more protein Uh, when it comes to fat the fat is between the black soldier flies and the beef are almost comparable they're you know when you, when you break it down per insect, it's very, very comparable to meat. I have another slide I'm going to show here in a second. Yoro said that the reason why they believe that more and more people should be buying these insect-based proteins is first and foremost that it's a great tool if you have a dog with allergies. So it's hypoallergenic. Yeah. And right? so
1: much better than, let's say, wild earth or other vegan types of food. Listen, if your veterinarian says you have a dog with, or cat with raging allergies, you can do vegan food or Insect-based food, totally go insect, absolutely go insect over vegan. Yeah, yeah.
0: The taste, which everybody wants to know what it tastes like. So apparently, these people that are formulating these foods taste it themselves, and they say that it tastes like beef and cheese. Have you ever eaten insects? Mm-mm. I've never eaten insects. Anybody in the in the comment section, if you guys have if ever anyone? eaten insects, what do they what do they taste like? Uh, according to the makers, they said it tastes like beef and cheese. Um, cheese.
1: Listen. If any insect scoopers have had insects that taste like cheese, please leave it in the comment section because I'm interested to know what insects taste like cheese.
0: Well, apparently it tastes like cheese. What, what do you what do you think here? What do you, do you think? So. Biologists are saying that they observe many wild canines and felines, uh, which include insects in their diets. But the big question here is, can it be a standalone? Some of the challenges here that the uh, insect species differ in digestibility and they differ in amino acid content. One of the biggest fears that people are afraid of, are we going to see a potential another DCM sort of rise when we're starting to get into these proteins that we're not very familiar with could this be a potential problem or do you think it's it's better off as being maybe an ingredient more than it is a standalone
1: so that that would be my preference if i'm not in charge uh, of anything but if i was running afco i would i and if people were coming to me for my professional opinion i would say listen insects are fantastic dogs and cats naturally supplement them with, with to their evolutionary diet because of that insects would function as an adjunctive basically vitamin mineral amino acid supplement that you could use As as a replacement for potentially these bulk vitamin mineral premixes. And that's how I see companies, innovative companies have come to me asking my opinion how these innovative companies are using insect protein is they're using them to fill in the blanks. For instance, some of these insects have super high manganese levels. In fact, manganese levels high enough that if it was an insect only based food, the manganese levels would exceed safe Limits. That's how high they are, because most foods are deficient in manganese. How cool would it be to take out the synthetic, lab-made manganese and put in a species of insect, which is a whole food, beautiful, more biologically available, assimilatable alternative? I think that that's a fantastic option. Yes, Lori, there is some taurine in bugs. She said, "Is there is there data on taurine?"
0: I got some. I got, actually, I got some stats here that I printed out. Right. So w- one of the claims here that where people say is that there's just as much protein as found in poultry and fish meal, and that it's actually there's more protein pound for pound than it comes to soybean meal, which is one of the big things that they push for it. One of the drawbacks, though, here is the fact that insects can be low in calcium because they don't have bones, right? So though calcium levels may vary between species and even within the same species, depending on their diet, because like when you look here at the cricket meal, look at the amount of calcium Calcium. that's going on in there, right?
1: Exactly. But the other thing you have to remember, those of you that have birds or exotic reptiles, amphibians, we gut load crickets all the time, which means if you feed these bugs, whatever nutrient, so for instance, Lori, if you wanted to create a high touring cricket, four days before you feed those crickets, you feed the crickets or any of the bugs, you feed them the nutrients that you want to be passed up the food chain. And this is exactly how most companies get away with using sprouts as their whole food, vitamin, mineral supplement is that they Feed the sprouts, vitamins and minerals that they want put into their food later on. And that's exactly what you can do with any of these nutrients is you can gut load any of, you know, iron, calcium, taurine, manganese, selenium. You can gut load those crickets with those nutrients and in turn they're passed up the food chain. Are you finding, does that reach, did the article talk about Europe approving it in whole food form uh, and what taurine levels are by chance or no?
0: (laughs) I was just trying to find the section here on taurine. I had highlighted it earlier, but I believe it was the crickets that they said that they found um, had good levels. Of, oh, here it is here. Some black soldier flies. some black soldier fly larvae would be an excellent source of calcium as well while crickets are relatively high in taurine. One of the so to go back, Black Soldier Fly specifically can be really high in calcium or really low. As we mentioned, it's a buyer beware scenario. And that's because you don't know what these manufacturers are feeding the animals. One solution, they said, if you're worried about calcium, might be able to might be to take the insect meal and mix it with another protein source, like a poultry meal or a beef meal where you know the calcium levels are high. This, this goes back to, should these insect meals be independent of themselves or should they uh, be mixed in? And I know when you and I were visited the raw food facility in British Columbia, they were using insect meal in their raw food as an enhancement, but it wasn't a primary source of protein. No, no,
1: it just, you're adding, and that's what I think. I think that innovative fresh food manufacturers are using insects to replace the need for some of those minerals, those hard to come by minerals. I can what I can foresee and what would be beautiful is if people started manufacturing high zinc crickets and high selenium crickets and you know how we have high selenium yeast you could in theory you could produce all, you could produce whole food nutrients by just gut-loading those crickets prior to selling them to manufacture you could have high vitamin and mineral specific crickets or any insects for that matter and it could replace synthetic nutrients which I think is absolutely fantastic.
0: Now did you know the, fa- now, I didn't know this, but now they're getting into um, soldier oil. fly fat oh, and yeah. oil, yeah. according to the researchers. So first of all, the, the larvae themselves, they're rich in fat while their feces, known as frass, make a handy fertilizer. The black, that, sorry, the fat of the black soldier fly larva is notably rich in lauric acid. Which is, of course, a saturated found, uh, uh, fatty acid found in plants like coconut oil, palm, kern oil, and believed to have antimicrobial properties. Researchers found that replacing soy oil with fly larva fat reduced the potential effects of pathogenic bacteria.
1: Interesting.
0: So it seems like there the studies and the research that's being done, and I don't, I'm not sure who's funding those studies. You might now start seeing insect fat also being added to pet food as well.
1: Well, and and especially because it, if it is used to stabilize the more unstable polyunsaturated fatty acids that do become rancid so quickly, I would be all you know. Dogs and cats were never meant to ingest the massive amount of omega sixes, especially coming from vegetable oils that they're that they are. So, insect oil sounds like a fantastic alternative.
0: Well, and the, one of the last things here that I talk about cautioning about um, one of the scientist says that black soldier flies uh, especially are apt to accumulate heavy metals from the feed particularly cadmium and lead so these insects it's really really important what they're being fed because they of course they can it might sound like i mean for me it sounds like an extremely clean source of protein there's no question right like when you look at what animals like livestock are fed today it seems like going to a Another alternative, a cleaner source of protein with just as many rich amino acids, seems so incredible. But again, somebody can turn around and do it in a in a wrong way, and now it turns into a ticking b- time bomb with the way would, that yeah. these animals are fed. But it's the prices right now that are their problem. Oh, so right now in Europe, and for our European inside scoopers, you guys might be seeing this on the on the shelves. When a three pound bag would be around seventeen dollars US. For- a th- for three pounds. For a cricket meal? For black black soldier fly okay. meal. Okay. um 13 pounds for $59, 26 pounds for $110 US. Wow. So if you go on Amazon right now, a traditional 33-pound bag in the United States is selling for $24. A 26-pound bag, which would have seven pounds less, is almost five times the price at $110. And
1: so you can buy fly larva meal on Amazon right now?
0: you can blow like
1: baking bread
0: that's such a good question would you use
1: unsalted (laughs) or salted butter if you were to buy the 29 pounds on amazon would you and bake bread would you use salted or unsalted butter
0: definitely salted
1: for sure salted in this scenario always pick salted butter if you're going to make black soldier fly larva bread meal, from meal coming off of Amazon. I do think that the essential fats coming from insects could be an interesting thing to flesh. I mean, we, we don't, it's none there's are there are no available products on the market for us to try or test, but I think it's an interesting concept.
0: Oh my gosh. And you just, even the way it kind of almost looks like coconut oil, but a yellow version in the top left I'm not entirely corner.
1: convinced that that's not just some general photo that the company's using. You know what I'm saying?
0: It looks pretty really legit. <laughs>
1: I also, um, Lori says, how do they how do how do they slaughter maggots? Hopefully, humanely. I think, sadly, I think that they freeze
0: dry them. Here's the most important part. You know, the part that I, I kind of left this to the end, right? So, Yora, which is the pet food company in Europe who has the insect meal uh, pet foods that they sell, they claim that insect farming needs just two percent of the land required to farm cattle to produce ten kilograms of protein while generating about 4% of the emissions. I mean holy smokes, yes. you know one of the biggest reasons I gave up meat. I remember I made that stat a few years back that you see there on the left-hand side. 10.2 billion animals are slaughtered each year and just that's just in America. 50% of them have the animals considered inedible, 1.9 almost 2 billion Pounds of scraps fo- and bones expire, and that's from supermarkets that are just thrown away. So in total, 56 billion pounds of raw material every year in the U.S. and in Canada are discarded. This is the debate that Marion Nessel and Susan Thickston have. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have one person who fights. They both they both love animals, but they both view the world in a different how do I say this? They're both incredible, they're, they're both my favorite people, but they both have two different views on this situation. Mm-hmm. One doesn't believe that rendered ingredients should go into pet food. The other says, what do we do with all of the leftover meat? If we're only, even 50, if we're only eating 50% of the animals.
1: What do we do with the rest? What do we
0: do with the rest? Because we would fill up, that statistic right there, in four years you would fill up every single landfill, sp- all landfill space would be full in four years if we weren't doing something with those rendered materials. And whether or not they should be going in pet food. I mean, I and you, you know, we do our best uh, to feed human grade, human yep. quality meats, but it still doesn't really end this. Um... Well,
1: and I also my viewpoint is that it's all about disclosure. If I think if if manufacturers want to continue putting rendered byproducts into pet foods, my big issue is why aren't why can't the average pet consumer be aware of what they're feeding. They have no idea that they're feeding rendered byproducts that failed human inspection. I believe that AFCO has an ethical and moral obligation to put on the bag, you know, these or like on the back, at least an asterisk by the ingredients that failed human inspection. So that pet parents say, Oh, you know, it's fine to buy food for eight dollars. You know, you can buy, Pedigree for like eight dollars for twenty pounds. There's a reason for that, but pet parents don't know that. So if it said right on the top, this this food is made with hundred percent feed grade materials, that at least discloses what the truth is.
0: All right. What else do we What else do we get here on the list? Oh, I want to talk about this one really quick. I only want to oh, talk about Oh, the inflammatory this quick.
1: headline that made everyone so upset.
0: So there's the. So if you guys remember from a couple <laughs> of weeks ago, Dr. Karen Becker was talking. Okay, thanks so much for the 50 stars. Uh, oh. Dr. Karen Becker was talking about, uh, she posted her inflammatory post with that dog and the mask oh. and the vaccine that she made. The, that
1: you so <laughs> kindly made for me and said, hey, I know you can't really make anything on the computer. I'll make you a graphic. Sure, Rodney. So, thank you so much for my graphic.
0: So many people you know, were upset with listen, you. Listen,
1: how, how how quickly did you laugh after I took your graphic and posted it?
0: Well, you got eaten alive. But then but then the universe got me back the following week when I posted about Ernie Ward when he said vets should be vegan. I got eaten alive uh, with the whole, yes. <laughs> the whole vegan debate. But I did want to bring this one up because – so if you guys remember a couple of weeks back, we were talking about um, the New York Post and the Independent had posted – an article pertaining to should pets be forced to be vaccinated for COVID-19, meaning if we vaccinate the whole world, trying to, or as many people as you can to create herd immunity, and you try to rid yourself of the disease, can the disease then turn around and hide in dogs and cats? Meaning making it almost impossible to eradicate it was one of the theories. So the cool thing was this study just came out Trying to find the slide here. My gosh, I got so many slides. So, this study just came out key components of the inflammasome. And it was talking about how the symptoms of canines and felines were mild. And why were they mild? It says here we propose the deficiencies of the inflammasome and the pyroptosis. Pyroptosis? Yeah. Is that P silent? Pyr- it, it is. The P is silent. Pyroptosis pathways might provide an evolutionary there's no p inside. It's like, Psycho. oh yeah, okay. I see what you was there. What is God? You are on fire today. All right. Where were we? Um, yes. So <laughs> pyrotosis, because the silent is p, uh, pathways might provide an evolutionary advantage against SARS-CoV-2 by you mind reducing if I open the door. No, it's it might snow in the studio. It might snow. Okay, so the purpose, again, of the study, was they were talking about that the dogs and cats had an evolutionary advantage by reducing the cytokine storm-inducing host damage, meaning that they don't, scientists think that potentially, with a little bit more research, that the dogs and cats are able to, so they have something evolutionary designed in them to be able to weaken this virus and fight it off to the point that maybe... Uh, nobody has to force anybody to uh, have to vaccinate their pets. Yeah,
1: or another way of saying that is that um, I read this this study when it came out, like I don't know, two weeks ago. Another way of saying that is that dogs and cats don't have the pathway that creates the, cytocy- the, the cytokine storm. They ha- they have dogs and cats have a different genetic pathway that allows them to be not fantastic hosts to be significantly more asymptomatic if they're infected and to not have the massive inflammatory response that allows the virus to go crazy and create self-destruction and cause profound morbidity and mortality, disease and death. So to me, this what the study highlights is first of all, Dogs and cats are resistant to COVID and there is no reason. First of all, we don't have a dog and cat vaccine, So, but they're resistant. But th- this is the best defense for veterinarians saying, you know, when a COVID vaccine becomes available, we need to make dogs and cats get it. This so far is our best defense in saying, really, because they don't have the genetic pathways to create the amount of disease that would require vaccination seems like overkill. So this study highlights that this is not a vaccinatable disease at this point with dogs and cats. I'm going to go put on a tank top and shorts. Because I am having a hot flash.
0: Yeah, it's only it's only minus eleven. The door is right here and wide open. So I'm good now. I'm good. Uh, so yes, so that's a very interesting study. I think I think it's promising that they're you know they're, that they're putting more and more research, like I said, into this. Because man, holy moly, were people on fire yeah. when when they thought of the potential of the uh, yeah, of, of COVID animals, vaccine yeah. having to be yeah. maybe potentially one of the core vaccines, right? Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Now this 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 next one here freaks me out because this one we were going to talk about it last week and we didn't get the opportunity last week to talk about it. And this is something that's being brought up in the American Veterinary Medical Association field. Like the people within that bubble are starting to rumble about the guidelines for copper. Check it out here in the, here I circled, I circled that quote that says, we suspect that copper contents of many commercial dog foods are greater than the biological requirements of dogs and exceed the tolerance limit for some of them. So this is, this is like a rumble that's going on right now is could pet food be formulated wrong? In fact, could pet food be potentially formulated dangerous because there's no limits to copper? There's a screen capture I got up there in the top corner from the AFCO book when it pertains to copper this one was near and dear to your heart
1: so the downside about there's many downsides about afco in fact i think everyone in the group probably generally agrees afco kind of stinks are we thankful that we live in north america or many of you from around the world in modernized countries that provide some minimum nutrient requirements yes we're very thankful keep in mind that both nrc and afco requirements of which FedEF took their baseline minimums, all came from research done on minimum vitamin and mineral requirements, studies done in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. At that time, when pet foods were being produced, we were using a very cheap, now known as toxic copper sulfate as the primary feed ingredient for a cheap source of of copper as a mineral source. So for instance, diets that are made with poultry, so chicken and turkey, duck, pheasant, quail, Poultry, birds tend to be low in copper. So there's not enough copper for puppies, kittens, adult dogs and cats to grow. There's not enough mineral in their in their bodies if you feed an all poultry diet. This requires the addition of copper. And way back when we started using copper sulfate. Copper sulfate is bad, hard on the liver, not biologically assimilatable when people started realizing, hey, this is a really cheap, bad source of copper, of which many ultra processed pet food companies still continue using that product, they're switching. And in the last 20 years, companies are moving towards other types of more biologically appropriate and assimilatable sources of copper, like copper, like the amino acid chelates. And so there are more human grade forms of copper now that are highly absorbable. And what that means is that AFCO who hasn't updated their minimum nutrient requirements, a lot of dogs and cats are eating copper levels at very, 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 very high amounts day after day. And this is causing them to have liver dysfunction. And finally, we have a veterinarian that has stepped up, a board certified nutritionist that has stepped up and said, hey, I think we need to look at revamping how we are assessing minimum nutrient requirements for AFCO. And I love this. Now, I promise you, This veterinarian is not wildly popular right now. But I love the fact that he has taken this issue on. I wonder if it's it's, Sharon
0: Sharon A. Center, because I know that Dr. Lori Kocher says Sharon A. Center is 200% brilliant. There's a whole bunch of names on that paper, as you can see it.
1: I admire admire veterinarians for finally asking, in a kind, respectful way, our our nutritional peer group, as well as AFCO, hey, I think we need to start thinking. About the implications of over supplementing nutrients, especially in their in their synthetic form. Remember that if if you were to eat food sources of copper, like you know copper is found, let's say in beef liver, you can eat a whole lot of beef liver before you're going to get toxic. But like, all you need is a teeny tiny amount of of other copper supplements before you could reach threshold. And many dogs particularly more so than cats, have a genetic inability to excrete copper adequately. So if you have a genetic flaw where you can't get copper out, most of the time, if our body's ingest too much of a supplement, we can just metabolize it out of our system. If we're lacking the genes to get rid of certain nutrients, they accumulate in our bodies quickly and cause toxicosis. This is a massive issue with dogs and certain breeds. So I love the fact that this is the first time We have a group of veterinarians saying, I think it's time that we revisit AFCO minimums. And I'm just so excited that this is the beginning of a discussion that maybe starts us down a path of looking at AFCO's nutrient recommendations in a different light.
0: One of the greatest quotes that I heard came from Greg Aldridge, who was the chief officer or what he was president of the Pet Food Ingredients Association. And he said, we just don't know enough about dog and cat nutrition. We think we know a lot. We don't know enough about it. And that is the honest to God truth. You know what I mean? Like it's to to see veterinarians stepping up like that and to be pushing, you know, to be pushing those boundaries. I mean, when companies use their marketing strategies to claim that, you know, the science behind everything is, is not flawed. We talked about it. Weeks ago with Science Diet, you know, where you know every single can here is inspected, can by can is inspected when it goes through here. That marketing makes its way to the veterinarian. The poor veterinarian then says to the pet parent, you know, like when Rodney walked in and for his cat looking for the best food in 2007, he was given a bag of Science Diet, right? It's, I was told from my veterinarian, you know, every single bag is inspected, every single nutrient is inspected before it goes into this bag, and there's so much science and so much research, right? all of a sudden you get a vitamin D toxicity machinery something some sort of malfunction many thousands of animals died melamine in 2007 you know and now to just to see people sort of pushing the needle here we're saying hey maybe we're putting too much copper and we're causing issues in pets
1: but you know i also think that this is a group of this is a group of a variety of doctors coming together to make this statement. I think that veterinarians are also beginning to realize that there's strength in numbers, that by publishing a paper, I think, is there six or seven vets on there?
0: There's a bunch of vets on there. I
1: think, yeah, like, yeah, six, six. yeah. And some internal medicine, some PhDs, some nutritionists, a variety of different professionals coming together. There's strength in numbers when you can get a handful of veterinarians to say, hey, I know we've done it this way all along, but I'd like to start a conversation about the potential, that the way we've always done it may not be ideal for what we know now. And I commend these veterinarians for stepping up and starting a conversation. I think that this is the beginning of a very long and very interesting conversation because these are board certified specialists that are now interested in opening up a conversation. They did it respectfully. They did it kindly. They didn't attack uh, any one brand. They said, we have some concerns that we would like to start a discussion around. I think that that's brilliant. I'm really looking forward to tracking this conversation. I will say that copper is just one of the minerals that AFCO does not have a maximum amount set for. So it's a little concerning. I'll just back up and some of you have already heard this, but most of these companies, these vitamin mineral premixes are very expensive. So when you have six different, let's say you have a chicken, Turkey, beef, poultry, um, quail, and then a rabbit formula. These pet food companies only make one premix for all of those different proteins. So they do the nutritional analysis on all of these recipes. They find out the most nutritionally deficient skew that they're going to carry. They set the premix for that bag. It's usually chicken. But then they put that vitamin mineral premix across all of their SKUs because they're not going to make six individualized customized vitamin mineral formulas. They're using one premix for their entire line. That's great for the profoundly mineral deficient oh. chicken. It is not great for the um, for the vitamin and mineral rich uh, beef and bison. So those are the diets. Steve Brown always told me if you ever see a beefer, if you ever see a red meat diet with additional copper and iron added you need to stop and wonder about how much copper and iron's in that bag because Afco sets the minimums, but they're not concerned about maximums. Yeah.
0: And also, you know, what also gets me is the synthetic and whole food, the synthetic and whole food interaction, right? Cause I, I was reading when it came to pertaining to those insect proteins that most manufacturers were over formulating their foods just in case, just in case something potentially happened. Now, yeah. I know there's a lot of argument around that, but I always wondered about the, you know, we're getting enough, let's say, copper, let's say from the chicken, and then we're turning around and then we're putting a synthetic copper in there just to meet all of those guidelines, maybe even exceed it a little bit. Here's a little bit more of the synthetic. How is that reacting in the body, which really segues very well with our final study that's about to come up?
1: and let me just throw in one thing there are some nutrients like the b vitamins that are totally obliterated with heat like thiamin's gone thiamin's gone with freezing vitamin b1 gone with freezing gone with cooking if you know ultra processed foods that are heated four times thiamin's long gone thiamin needs all the b vitamins a water soluble delicate like the omega 3 fatty acids and the b vitamins have to be back at, have to be added back in minerals oftentimes don't diminish with minerals are are much more stable than vitamins through all of these high heat cooking processes. So you're correct. Manufacturers are saying, you know what, in order to make minimum B vitamin requirements, we're going to add a ton of everything in. The problem is that that is not good nutrition. You, I really believe that customized vitamin mineral blends are the way to go. Um, that's a question for good pet food companies is, do you use one vitamin mineral vitamin premix or are each of your diets customized for each specific formula. It's a really good question and,
0: to ask. And you also think about genetics, how genetic plays a potential role, yeah. and could that animal break down the synthetics if they're added and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. But did you know, our good friends in Finland just oh. put out a study. Early life modifiable exposures and their associations with owner reporting IBD, inflammatory bowel disease symptoms in adult dogs. So basically, IBD is an idiopathic multifactorial disease in humans and dogs usually assigned to the interaction between genes, gut microbiota, diet, environment, and the immune system. So as always, those crazy, incredibly awesome scientists from Finland, crazy awesome I should say, not just crazy guys, put crazy awesome behind it, took a total of 7,015 dogs who participated in the study with two different feeding patterns. Some of those dogs ate a non-processed meat-based diet. Now, whether that's lightly cooked or raw food diet. And they were compared with dogs that ate ultra-processed carbohydrate diets, aka kibble. And so they studied those two to see at a young—let me, let me keep going here. From the final models, we found that the dogs that ate the non-processed meat-based diet during early and late postnatal periods were significantly associated with a lower— IBD risk later in life. And the dogs that ate kibble during the same periods were associated with a higher risk of IBD incidence.
1: Well, we talked about this briefly, but without knowing the study, we talked about this briefly last week as well, that what you feed early in life, actually, for for human kids, we were able to qualify that last week, that nourishing human children with appropriate fresher foods early on really makes a difference in how their immune system and body behaves as adults. Same is true of puppies. And now we actually have proof.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. That it's crazy now that we have actually studies for them. Remember yeah. like in the old days, like there was never a study for anything. The conclusion here, according to Dr. Anna Helm bjorgman and her team, it's reassuring for owners to know that they themselves have an impact on their dog's health. Yes. A high fat, low carbohydrate, minimally processed diet exposure during early life- and a normal body condition and puppyhood were significantly associated with less IBD in dogs. Mm-hmm. And the opposite held true for the dogs that were fed like a kibble or a processed food. Here's what's interesting. They also found that the maternal diet during the neonatal period showed a, yes. uh, like a trend. It wasn't a massive trend, but a trend in lower IBD risk in the offspring. Basically, if the moms were fed and the dads were fed a fresh food diet, that there was also Another decrease on yes. top of the decrease if the animals were fed fresh food. So,
1: and we already know that that's true about atopy, about itching, that moms fed raw food during their gestation when they're pregnant. Those puppies, according to research, have less allergies. Now we can say moms fed raw during pregnancy also have puppies with less predisposition to IBD. So we have. And if you think about it, what are the two, some of the two top reasons dogs go to the veterinarian, itching and GI problems. So how cool that both of those conditions, now we have a study to verify that fresh earth foods diminishes the potential of that epigenetically expressing itself. Pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and just remember, just November the 20th, not too far, you know. Only a few months back, they had posted the other study, which was the comparison between raw food and kibble, and that those animals that were fed raw food had more, their skin, the skin biome was was healthier, less inflammation, and that feeding animals, of course, fresh food was able to sort of reduce uh, topic dermatitis in dogs. So, yeah. God, man, there's such a cool, it's such a cool time. Yes. To be talking about this, I mean, years ago, we would be talking about it and you'd just be able to find like a a study here or a study there, maybe out of Japan or out of Brazil. But now like to see all these studies that are being pushed. I know that it was trending in my news feed. Did you see it? Uh, Kelly Swanson, who who, who was at the Purina, the the last time he was speaking was at the Purina event, got on the news and said, yeah, man, we found in our studies that feeding fresh food to dogs, uh, there was a lower fecal score and it looks to be that feeding fresh food is actually better than feeding ultra processed food
1: do you have that loaded up are we going to watch it or no i should have loaded it you up. should have. i don't but, but it's trending but, all over but do you know what i find most interesting about dr swanson's comment is that he starts out that interview it was with the big chicago tv station he's dr swanson practices at the vet school about two hours south of chicago his very first statement in that interview was now i have to be careful what i say because i work for a lot of companies did you catch that yes I have to be careful what I say because I work for a lot of different companies. Flash Purina. Yeah. AKA (laughs) my entire paycheck comes from ultra processed pet food. So I'm not going to bash anyone, but it appears that raw food that
0: uh,
1: I think he said, did he call it fresh food? Fresh food. I think, yeah. Fresh food. The dogs produce smaller poo. They absorb more nutrients. It's more assimilatable. Yes, of course. Things that we all know, but it is lovely that all the things that we know Mm -hmm. as fresh feeders, we're beginning to have studies when everyone says, well, there's no research pertaining to fresh food. It's it's coming now, finally, which is good.
0: Well, inside scoopers. Wow, we went through all of these lick it, stick it, stamp it slides. Inside scoopers, as always, this uh, this hack job of a uh, Facebook live. We put it together. Good studies. We couldn't let let you guys down. Good studies. We couldn't let you guys down. We had to come out. We had to do it. Consistent every single week. We've never, ever, ever missed a week. It wasn't going to happen this time. I thought we were going to have to do it in the airport, but we didn't have to do it in the airport.
1: It's nice, isn't
0: it? Yeah, we were able to come. Again, apologies. Normally, there's like a time slot and something we had because every day that was going by we had no idea if you were going to get on that plane or you weren't going to get on that plane and we had to hold it to the last second so if you missed this live and you're just tuning into it now and you're watching it pre-recorded i'm still here dr becker is still here
1: and we'll see you next week
0: he just sent you 200 stars for a good Uh, facebook live so it wasn't that bad so
1: nice yeah
0: and on that note inside scoopers
1: we'll see you next week